All right, so we're gonna continue this morning in uh, the sermon series called Life Together. And it's a look at the second book of Corinthians. And we've been talking about these things. Now, as God would have it, I was gonna preach this last week, so I'm preaching it now, but I'm gonna try to refresh your memory a little bit about where we were in the series because we did have that kind of break from it. And we're gonna be coming up on a couple more weeks of a break, probably in a couple weeks. Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth and he says some kind of surprising things out of the gate about how everyone hurts, about how he has plans and God changes his plans and he's kind of dynamically following God. We said that this book is a book of dynamic relationship, right? And then, and then you remember the last time I was with you, I built that crazy teeter-totter kind of balancing, remember that thing that fell apart? And in this whole series, I felt like this is like Monday morning quarterback series. So like there's always something the next day I go, oh, I wanted to say that. That whole tilted scale thing I showed you up here where we have like the results of our sin and the, the punishment, the punishment of our sin and the, um, the guilt or the, the, that's right and good. But Paul says, balance that out with affection. Remember that? And, and make sure that you love them and you forgive them, right? And some people will say, well, how can I do that? And the thing that I messed up on, and it was what it was, but that the final piece that tilts this thing eternally in this upward angle toward Christ and his kingdom is Jesus Christ himself. You see, we can do our own forgiveness things, right? We need to forgive. But Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, I forgive in the sight of Christ, and you can think about that in a couple different ways. The first way is that, well, because I, Jesus sees me, I need to forgive you, my brother or sister who sinned against me. You can say it that way. But there's another way that you can say it is that because I've been forgiven by Jesus in the sight of him and seeing him on the cross, I can forgive anyone anything because I've been forgiven. And, and some people have a hard time with that. They go, yeah, but I didn't do those bad things. But that's where that whole teeter-totter thing just collapses to one side because there's this sacrifice made by God himself in the cross that forever tilts the scales towards love and forgiveness over condemnation and punishment. And that's the truth of the gospel. And Paul is gonna drive home this point over and over again. Um, I encouraged you earlier that we would get into God's word and that you would do that regularly. Um, and I just told you that story about Ray Baker, but I'll tell you one more story about um, Sally, Ray Baker's daughter. Uh, she had this conviction for a long time, and we're gonna talk about this today, that, um, and I don't know, she said maybe it was like, she's a believer for a long, long time, like, you know, and, and maybe like the 90s, 80s, 90s, I don't know when it was, but she heard someone, probably a pastor or a teacher or leader say that you might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And that's kind of a throwaway line, right? Like it's like a bumper sticker, Christianity, you know, like you might be the only Bible. But she took that to heart and she started thinking, if people looked at me in my life, would they see Christ? Had opportunity this weekend to celebrate with the, the Compton Funderburg families as um, Leah and Jake got married, which is awesome. And, uh, and one of the things that I was able to share in that was um, what Leah's grandpa, Ron, said at Lindsay's wedding. He said, um, I believe you have a couple more, Pastor. And he was seeing the future of his granddaughters who were going to be married. Why would I mention this? Because Ron, and I call him Brother Ron, I only met him a handful of times but he had the spirit of Christ. There was no competition. I mean, they were his grandkids, and I'm, I'm sure he would have loved, and they wanted to be part of the service, and yet he saw the day coming that this hope would be fulfilled. See, the things that Ron and Sally had in common is that they read 
like Jesus. They read like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying they're perfect and neither are we, but today we're gonna hear from the word how we might be the very letters from Christ. It's a radical concept and Paul shares it. So we're gonna do one more time. We're gonna, we always do, we're gonna pray that God would give us wisdom and then we'll get right into God's word in 2 Corinthians 3. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you now for a chance to open your word afresh, anew. Maybe for the first time in a while, maybe um, uh, for, for the first time today, um, that we would learn from you. We ask that you would be our teacher, that you would condescend to teach us in our humanity, that we might have open minds and open hearts, and we might be changed because of your word and what you have for us. As much as we're able, Lord, we lay ourselves open at your feet, and we ask you to teach us. Would you be our teacher? and we will learn, and then would you help us to live out the things that we learn in our own lives. We pray you would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. And this just happens to be where it broke this time around, and we're going to, um, to pick up, and I wanna, I'm going to back up. I love to do this, back up one verse into uh, chapter 2, just so we can kind of pick up the context, and we're going to read forward. Paul says this, verse 17 of chapter two. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. I wanted to say that to you because already you're getting this idea of apostolos being sent, being, being sent, and that's gonna come in this idea of being letters. Listen to verse one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are, letters, uh, you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes, here it is again, from God. He has made us competent as ministers, as servants of a new promise, new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. I don't know how many of y'all have been around church world for a while, and have you ever heard of a, uh, a letter of commendation or a letter of membership? Um, there's this interesting history, and you can see it here. Paul says in verse one, are we beginning to commend, recommend, uh, um, advance ourselves again, or do we need, like some people do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And so there was this idea that if you are a member in good standing at a church, and by the way, sidebar, Family Bible does not have membership. We can talk about that sometime. But they would write a letter on here about what they knew about your faith life and they would have you take this letter to your new church. And this, this practice is still uh, fresh enough, some churches still do it today, that they will not, they will or will not extend the right hand of fellowship, they will or will not invite you into the congregation based on a letter of recommendation of your faith, right? And um, I have a couple funny stories about that, but this is something I had never heard of in my life. And, and so in my own faith journey, whenever I went, started attending a, a Protestant church, as an American Baptist church here in Highland, First Baptist, I was going there for a year, and, um, and I was an atheist. 
but I kept going. And, and I, I really enjoyed the people and I you know, just had some issues with the God stuff, but I would just kept going and going. And then one Sunday, I wanted to join with my bride. And so I took her by the hand and she knew where I was spiritually. And I went down at altar call, I responded. And the pastor said, why do you come? And I said, um, I wanna join the church. We wanna join the church. Because my wife wanted to join a church. So I'm like, let's do that. And uh, I don't know how that works. And so he prayed over us. My dear, dear friend, Tom Davis, prayed over us. And he said, he, you know, and the, this, the, we're singing verse four, you know what I mean, the congregation. And there's no tears ring. This is practical for me. And then he turns us around, one of each arm, he says, praise the Lord, Bill and Chris are joining the church. This became a controversy later on because when they found out I became a believer later, they're like, how were you ever part of the church before you're a believer? And I'm like, God's grace? I don't know. I was told not to tell that story anymore, by the way. <laughs> when I was a, a youth leader there, they're like, stop telling that story. <laughs> you know what that's birthed in me? A wide grace, man. Whew, come on now. What can God do with grace? filled people. Now listen, I'm not saying it's not a serious matter if you're a believer or not, but that letter had nothing to do with it. You know what Tom said when he was asked, how could you let them join? He said, well, they were raised Catholic. I figured that was a letter of recommendation. <laughs> if you don't know Tom, you know that uh, his uncle's a, um, uh, a monk or a, um, a brother in the Catholic church. And uh, yeah, funny history there. So anyway, so he received me on letter from the Catholic church that I might hear the gospel preached, that I might engage the God who wrote the text and that he might save me. Letters of recommendation. Paul says, are we commending ourselves or do we need you to write a letter for us or someone else to write a letter for us to you to justify our position? Look at what he says in verse two. You yourselves are our letter. Paul says, you're our commendation. What? Written on our hearts. Known and read by everyone. Here's that idea that you might be the only Bible someone might read. Paul says this about them. Corinthian church, you've heard the gospel. You've embraced the gospel. It's written on your life. Do I need a referral again? You might recall that there was times in Paul's ministry we went back to Jerusalem, back to Peter, to kind of make sure that they're all on the same page with this gospel they're proclaiming about Jesus Christ. And they were but Paul says this, you yourselves are our letter. Interestingly enough, by the way, he says, you are written on our hearts. I asked you last time we were together, the couple weeks ago, have you ever written a tear-stained letter? Paul said, I wrote a letter through tears. Paul has loved and cared and poured into the church in Corinth, and he says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And the everyone there is all people. I want to take one more second here to stop on this point and say this, that it's not just the church that senses the spirit of God. Um, I, I got into a little bit of a side note study this week about wolves among sheep, you know, in the Bible and stuff like that. But there's something that we ought to have in discernment together that we can determine what's of God and what is not. And we ought to be fleshing that out on a regular basis, lest we be deceived or lest we be self-deceived. And so Paul says, this letter's written in your heart, but here's what I want you to say. Here, read by everyone. He doesn't say read by the church, read by the brothers, read by the apostles, read by the, the disciples. No, he says read by the world. The, the word here in the Greek is anthropon. Everybody reads the book of your life. Everyone, listen, reads the letter of your heart. And that's what he's saying. You showed your letter from Christ. There it is. The result of our ministry, 
written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And so we're gonna kind of start with the idea that Christians, believers in Jesus, are living letters, living letters. We often say this is the living word of God. We're the living church of God. We are the letters of Christ or letters from Christ. And I wanna do something this morning. I wanna um, kind of, by way of illustration, I'm gonna to start to differentiate here a little bit because Paul starts right now to lay out a print, uh, um, not a principle, but like a, a division that he's gonna walk through in this whole chapter here. But he says this, um, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, how the result of ministry, service, written not with ink. So you have one kind of letter that's written with ink, right? And he says, it's not that kind of a letter, but what? Does anyone have it? What is it? The spirit of the living God. So Paul's starting to differentiate something here. And I wish I could hold these both up at once, but we're not going to. So that one was ink. And this one is you were written with the spirit of the living God. That that's the kind of letter. And then it says what? Um, let's see. Not on tablets of stone, Right? Right? But what? What is it? The first word I'm missing. Tablets. Thank you. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Of, watch this, human hearts. It's cardia sarks. So it's, I'm going to put human, but it's, it's uh, fleshly hearts. You remember... When we were together, we, we did this thing which we couldn't, we had some live streamers who were like, what were you doing with your hand? We were doing this and then this. That's about where your heart is at, your, your actual physical muscle heart. Um, but then we talked about this idea that Paul means this. It's the place. And so when he says it's not written on stone, but it's written on the tablet of the human heart, it's the center of your care. That's where the Spirit of God is written. That's where the, the letter from Christ is written, in this internal um, place where you, you live your life from, okay? Such confidence now, he says, is, is ours through Christ before God. So he's, he's not saying it's because of me. It's not because Paul's special. It's not because Bill's special. It's not because any of the apostles are special. It's because Jesus Christ is before God, and that gives us our great confidence. Not that we are competent. Now notice that. It goes from confidence to competence in ourselves to claim anything. But our competence, that means our ability, comes from God. So, so Paul's like, not these letters, but those letters, because this comes from God. He has made us competent as, here it is, servants of a new covenant. That's a new promise. Not the letter but the Spirit. Now we're going to do a couple more here. So he says, not the letter, which is like the rules, and we're going to tile this together in a minute, but, and here we have again, but the Spirit, and you can intuit here that it's not the letter of the law, but the Spirit of the law. The intention, that's different than the Spirit of the living God, but it's the Spirit of the law in which it was written, okay? And then here's another thing. Why? Because the letter 
kills. See it? All we're doing is just dividing this out, what Paul says. The letter kills, but the spirit what? That's right. Gives, I spelled it wrong, life's. <laughs> we'll go with it. So the spirit gives life's. <laughs> All right. It gives us true life, and we're going to get back into that in a minute. Okay, reading on now in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters of stone, came with glory, so that, now here he's going to get into some history of Israel, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory that lasts? And so, uh, so here's the next idea, that the church, and I put we in here, working off the Christian idea, but that the church, the big C church, shows God's true glory. And so he's going to kind of pull in this idea here of the Old Testament covenant, the promises, the ministry that brought, there is again, death, we've already got it, right, kills, brings death, which, which was engraved on letters of stone, there it is again, came with, now watch this. This is interesting, and I, I love this. So this one, and I'm gonna go ahead and put, because it says kills, but I think it's also important that we recognize that that old promise, the old promise came with death, right? And what's to say? But it had some glory. He didn't say there's nothing of value in that. He's like, and there's some glory there. That, that the, all these things that happened before, they came with some glory. That's what the word says right there, right? Engraved in the letters of stone, came with glory. I put some in there, but I'm going to show you why. So that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, of his face's glory. <laughs> We're going to unpack that. Fading though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Um, there's a word, and I'm trying to remember where it was at in here. It was, uh, it was, watch this. By the way, if you think about um, what's, if the old one brings death, what would the new one bring? Just intuitively, that's right. <laughs> Lives, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. And then, and then it says this, but there's new one is surpassing glory. Paul's gonna say something. He's gonna say, there's this Old Testament, Old Covenant promise that you know well and that people have been religiously following for years and years and it brings these broken things but some glory. But he says there's this new covenant that we serve and it brings surpassing glory. And so the, this way to saying that the, that the church of God, that the gospel that we proclaim, that Paul proclaimed here to the Corinthians brings surpassing glory to God. And we're going to talk about why that is. So we have then um, the surpassing glory. What else can we see in here? Uh, well, let's just take a minute and talk about the face of Moses, okay? So, so Moses would go up the mountain to talk to God. 
And when he would come down the mountain to bring the word of the Lord to the people, his face would be radiant. Now what's striking about Moses is that he was not aware his face was radiant, but when the people saw his face, they were freaked out enough that they, that they, didn't, they wouldn't, wouldn't want to look at it. And so what Moses ended up doing, and I don't have a, I was going to bring a white hanky today, but here I got my regular one is he would veil his face. <laughs> he, would, he would veil his face. So, that, And I'm thinking, now wait a minute. If I'm Moses coming down the mountain and I've just talked to the Lord, I'm gonna let people see the glory. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just look at it. <laughs> you know, If they told me, Bill, your face looks awfully weird, I'd be like, it's because I've been with the Lord. You know what I mean? I, and, but Moses does this thing where he, the, he wanna scare people. It's probably good that I have a white one of these, right? You, Let's just make a little connection here, by the way. Fourth of July is coming up, right? There's this parade in St. Louis. I think it's called the Fourth of July Parade now or something like that. It used to be called what? The Veiled Prophet. Ha. Huh. We are meeting right now in the Masonic Lodge. You know that's actually a, a tie-in with the Masons, the Veiled Prophet Parade. Isn't that interesting? And they would take a guy and they would put him in a hood and they would run him down the center of the streets and he was called the Veiled Prophet and everyone would, you know, it was always some celebrity or it got to be the Veiled Prophet that year, they picked somebody or whatever. That's my understanding how it worked, right? And then suddenly someone goes, this is bad PR. <laughs> we shouldn't have a guy in a white hood going down the state, city of St. Louis. This is bad and that's probably wise. But what is it? We're gonna talk about this in a minute. But Moses was veiling his face that he might not frighten Israel, but might give them the commands of God that they were to obey. So he says this, the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the face's glory. Look at this, though. That old one is what? Fading. He says it here. Fading, though it was. So the Old Testament was a fading glory. Okay? Here he says in eight, will not then, comparatively, the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious, surpassing glory? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more the one that brings righteousness? So now we have condemnation. Right? Old. And what's the new one? True righteousness. Now we're going to get into this idea of like what, what's happening here. What's Paul proclaiming that's different about this new promise, this new covenant that he is serving? Verse 10, for what was glorious now, or what was glorious has no glory now. Oh, here it is in, in relevance to the per surpassing glory. So he says that now has no glory. It had some glory, but now it has no glory in comparison to what? The surpassing glory of the new promise. And if it was fading away, if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater the glory. So that was fading. Did we do one? Righteousness, glory that... You know, my favorite word is indoors. One that continues and continues and continues forward. A glory that lasts. A glory that only culminates in the very presence of God. So this is what Paul is calling us to. A glory that lasts. I wonder, do you, do you think that we're heading for glory 
we, we, we hear these um, stories of Moses up the mountain and, and the, the glory shining on his face. But do you believe that the God that we serve will bring glory, his glory, doxa, into your life in such a way that people around you might begin to wonder, what's this person about? And I don't, I want to be careful because I don't want it to be performative glory, not like, look how holy I am, look how well I'm dressed, look at what I've done. No, it's that because I told you earlier today to be in God's word, to be talking to God, I always encourage you, we always pray before we open God's word, and I would encourage you in your own life, even if you don't believe this is the word of God, that when you open it, you would say, if this is of you, would you show me? And then look intently at the word of God and see what he does in your life. Look at it, read it, know it. Why? That we might behold his glory and that in our lives then, not performatively, this glory might be known through our own faces. That's wild. That you and I, I said to you the last time we were together, smell like Jesus, that we might begin to look like Jesus. There's a real fine line there about performative thing, but we're not performative because we've been with God, because we've spent time in prayer, we spent time in his word. How glorious is God in Christ Jesus? I'm going to ask it again. How glorious is God in Christ Jesus? Because that's the treasure that the church holds. Jesus Christ. Not our own righteousness. Not be like us. Not, not, no. That God gave his son that we might be free. As a matter of fact, we've been, I've been praying, and we're going to talk at the end of service today about an opportunity that God is giving us right now for a space. But I've been praying, and I keep turning around, and we're, we were missing the cross. It's driving me kind of crazy. You know where it's at? It's in the trailer. It's, we don't, we, and it's like, oh, we don't want one more thing to drag in here. But what is God without the cross of Jesus. What is the gospel without Christ? It's nothing, nothing. But in Jesus is revealed God's true glory. I want you to know that. In him is revealed God's true glory. You could say it this way. If you don't see the glory of Christ in the cross, your God is too small. If you think the world is winning any war, your God is too small. If you, don't, if you don't understand what God did in the cross of Jesus Christ, your understanding of God is too small. Pequeño, little God. No, no. Jesus is God in the flesh. The very manifestation of God's love for us. Well, let's go to the final point here, starting in verse 12. Therefore... Right? Paul says, because we have this glory that's going to last, because we are, we are eternally destined to be with Christ, therefore, because of that, since we have such a hope, we are bold, <laughs> Paul says. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, not allowing the Israelites to gaze at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were dull. And to this day, I want you to hear this, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. 
The veil has not been removed because only in Christ is the veil taken away. That means that if you read this apart from Christ, it will be a dead book. But if you read this in Christ, it will be the living word of God. There's a a difference in how we engage the word of God. And it says that their minds were made dull because the veil remains as the Old Testament is read in worship. A couple things here. It means that when we read the entire Bible, I've told you before that like, like, Mm, this much is the Old Testament and this much is the New Testament, right? Like, all this is about Jesus. And there are theologians that go, no, 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 no. But look at what it says. If you want to understand the Old Testament, you have to have Christ remove the veil so you see what was happening in the Old Testament. Isn't it interesting? Only in Christ is the veil removed. You remember Paul's own experience, He was struck blind, knocked off the horse, and taken into Simon the Tanner's house, and then what? The veil was removed. And for the first time, he saw the glory of the Lord. Look at 15. Even to this this very day, when Moses is read, that's the law, a veil covers their hearts. They can't understand even the law, all those things that they claim to know so well. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, removed. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all pass reflect, we're gonna unpack that, the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes with, uh, from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the last thing is that we serve with unveiled faces. Okay, I actually wanna say a couple of things. We serve with unveiled hearts and unveiled faces. That's what the word says there, right? That they have veiled hearts. They don't understand the Old Testament. They don't understand the law that they're reading. But for us, the, the law is, the, the veil is removed from our hearts that we might un, that believe it and that, that in our, our, um, our faces that we might reflect it. That word there that says, um, let's see, that we reflect God's glory, the Lord's glory in our unveiled faces means that we are mirrors of Christ. That somehow, and I'm going to be the first one to say there's mystery here, that somehow that Jesus Christ, as we gaze upon him, is reflected back to the world around us, right? It's not that we're projecting Christ, it's that he's, we're reflecting Christ to those around us. And the more that we spend time in our relationship with him, the more we begin to reflect Jesus Christ. Now I want to have a huge caveat here. This does not mean, and maybe it means this for you, and I apologize if I'm the only one like this, that we go from this sin-filled state to this eternal glory in this perpetually upward motion. (laughs) I don't know, maybe that's your experience of Christ. You you come to Christ and you're just getting better every day, every day. But my own life has been more like the stock market. (laughs) It's like up and down and up and it crashes and it comes back and this thing. But there's this idea that it's always moving to glory. And if you look at the long time frame of your life, you begin to look back and say, I can't believe how far... Christ has brought me. No matter how much we can criticize the day, my own failures today, and I'll have plenty, that we can look back and say, wow, but look at how much he saved me, and look at how much more dependent on him I've become. Why? Because he is my Lord and my Savior. We serve with unveiled faces. That means a couple of things, by the way, that we let it be seen 
I think, the good and the bad. One of the problems that we have as Christians is we often want to mask stuff that's hard. We want to put a veil over that. You just pop out when it's good, and then, ooh, it's bad, bad, bad right now, right? The whole, like, I need you to go away. It's a bad day. No, no, no. We serve with unveiled hearts and unveiled faces. Why? And this is a beautiful text. Because we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory. Uh, One of my favorite um, preachers and theologians is John Piper, and he goes, that means you go from glory to glory to glory to glory as a believer in Christ. Inasmuch as we're being obedient, we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Like that's how it ought to work in our lives. And it doesn't always work that way. That's how it ought to work in the ought sense of the idea. And, and therefore, we are being transformed in this kind of multitudinous glory of Christ. What? Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God in our lives transforming us. The word there is metamorphotai or whatever in the Greek, and it means to metamorphosize, like a, a, a worm becoming a butterfly. Like, and Paul's gonna unpack this in a few chapters, like the new has come and the old is gone. From glory to glory, having been unveiled when we saw Jesus. That's the first look behind the curtain, is seeing Jesus. So I wonder today, do you understand what Christianity is about? Do you think it's about performing? Do you think it's about being better? Or do you think it's about this enduring relationship with Christ where you and I will need him more tomorrow than today and will reflect him more tomorrow than today in as much as we need him? Have you turned, the word says what? They will turn and see him. Have you turned to Christ in your own life? One final thought. I don't have a cross today, but I have this. Right? Now we've made these two piles. And, and it's easy, we might go, oh, that pile, pooey. And this pile, woo, right? But the truth is this that, you know what this is? A linchpin. <laughs> yeah, I have this. I wanted to bring in the tractor and I can, you know, that's ridiculous. You just drop it in there, and whatever it's connected to, it pulls along with it. And I would say this, that in the gospel, Jesus, but not just Jesus, but Christ, ties all this together. I never thought about it until this sermon, this, this, when I was preparing this, but this idea that the cross looks very much like a linchpin. And, and this is what Jesus said of himself, I did not come to abolish the law, to throw it out, but I came to fulfill it. So then we have, in our understanding, Jesus Christ, who actually connects all this, and this is what Paul says in other letters, and and draws us into this eternal glory. He's the one that ties this all together. And so I I want you to see that, that it's not forsaking, it's fulfilling, and it's fulfilling it that we might move forward in glory. If you don't understand that, if you don't understand why we made a big deal about Jesus, well then I hope that you will. I hope you'll stick around until you understand that, and then that you might be free to go and pursue and follow Jesus Christ wherever he leads.
Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus, that, that, that arbiter of faith, the one who came and lived perfectly and died on the cross that we might be free, the one who came to bring us unveiled faces that we ought not hide the gospel and the way to salvation, but we ought to proclaim it. And Father, inasmuch as we recognize it is not in and of ourselves that we've not done this right or figured this out, but it is in seeing your glory on the cross that we most reflect you, that we most um, re-image you to the world. That I, I pray, Father, that that would be our gaze that we would fix our eyes on Christ, that the world might see reflections of your glory, that they too might turn and see and believe and be saved. Help us, Father, to continue to proclaim the great and glorious unveiled gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you so much. We pray a prayer of thanks for the power of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.